answer 100 questions in 5 minutes to win the Manitoba money shot plus one goddamn minute it's Ken Cooper shoots on television and what's this guy doing up here in Manitoba 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 money dogs don't move the Manitoba it's the Manitoba money shot podcast with me Ronald George Moore it's one goddamn minute with Corolla Brown now here's me Granola Brown. All right, jokes. You want jokes? I'll give you jokes. How about the candidates for mayor of Winnipeg? Glenn Murray, the Jay Leno of candidates, is trying to come back, even though he's not wanted and he did the job already. Give me a break. Kevin Klein, too many Ks for my liking. Scott Gillingham's trying to take us on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Skipper. Get rid of this guy. Chris Classio. How about no Classio? All these guys can take a hike because there's only one mayor that you want to get behind, and his name is Granola, okay? Get behind Granola Brown. I'm running for mayor 2022. I promise you, one, I'm not going to advertise. I'm not going to canvas, no flyers, no stupid dumb vote me face on a billboard. Two, anyone riding a bike on a sidewalk, it's a $500 fine, including little kids. And three, I promise Zellers will not reopen in Manitoba. Fuck you, Teddy Z. There's only one clear choice. It's Gorilla Brown for mayor. Get lost. Wow. Okay, here we go. The, uh, the Manitoba Money Shop Podcast. My name is Ronald George Moore. Today's guest is one of the funniest guys I've ever known, Ken Cooperis. You heard him at the beginning of the show. We were in a sketch troupe called Brave New Weasels back in the 90s, and that clip was from 1995, a sketch called The Hypnotist. Now, Ken lives in Toronto. He's big into television, award-winning writer and producer. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at at Ken underscore is underscore here. He also sometimes pops up on the awesome podcast called Black Hole Films. Go check that out. And take a look-see at headspinnerproductions.com. It's a production company him and his wife, Michelle, have created. It's awesome. Thank you for listening. Oh, my God. It's Ken Cooper's. Hey. Hey, man. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for uh, for spending some Zoom time with me. uh, Because you're a busy guy. You do so many things. You're a TV producer writer um you're not doing much acting <laughs> no i don't i don't uh, i don't act at all zero acting it is funny though i would have thought maybe you'd kind of throw yourself into some projects you know kind of like an alfred hitchcock type of thing where you know you you go buy on a bicycle <laughs> or something like that yeah i don't know it was weird after i kind of moved away from sketch and improv and into television i i just i i never went back like, it just never really interested me anymore Right, you're on the other side. And I enjoyed it. I liked, and and, and if I had an opportunity to do something in front of a live audience again, like uh, I might be inclined, but I don't know, like acting in front of a camera or, you know, doing little cameos on my own thing, just, I don't know. It seems, it seems to be like a a level of self service that, uh, you know, I can't be bothered with. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And of course, uh, you were, uh, you're a Manitoban, Manitoban famously for, for a good, I don't know, 25 years or whatever. So 24, 24 years, 24, you moved. Okay. So what, were you born in, in, in Manitoba? I was born in Winnipeg. Yep. Um, my, my mom, as it turns out, I've just, I actually, uh, just, uh, found my birth mom. Um, I'm adopted and I found my birth mom and she's from Flinflon. So um, she came to Winnipeg specifically to have me and leave me. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I grew up in Winnipeg and, uh, I was never in Flint Fawn except I guess, um, you know, before I was born. Right. Was that something you were, were, were searching out or something that fell in your lap? Like what made you decide to, I, I mean, I wasn't, I, I certainly wasn't doing a, a, a dedicated search, but, um, in the last couple of years, uh, they opened, they just opened up the, uh, adoption. Um, like it was locked for a long time. You, you weren't allowed to know. And, uh, I guess mm. the law changed and they just opened it all up. And it was as simple as like sending a, a, a notice, sending a, um, 
um, like a form. And, and two weeks later, they just sent the information. Wow. So do they, would they contact your, your birth mother first before doing this or it's just no. it's all there in the files? No, it's in the files. Here you go. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, what was that meeting like? Is that crazy to ask like the first time? Like the, I guess it was an email no, or how really did you introduce It was yourself? really interesting. Like I, so I found, I found actually, cause I was kind of doing some internet snooping, trying to, trying to, because even though I had the name, um, you know, it's not that easy just to take a name and find somebody. Yeah. So I was doing some uh, Facebook snooping and, uh, and I actually tracked down a half sister and I kind of opened the door through her to kind of, uh, you know, and they knew about me. She knew about me. Like uh, I was, I was not like a secret within the family. Like, um, Oh wow. Yeah. So kind of tracking your career. Is it where you mean? Like, no, no, they didn't, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know my name, but they, she knew that her mom had a baby Mm -hmm. um, that she gave up for adoption and they always kind of thought that I might reach oh, out. So right. But when I did, she was, it was almost like she was prepared for it. What I did was I sent, I just, you know, I, I sent her a Facebook friend um, message, not even a message. I just, you know, pressed the button to, I was hoping that she'd have enough Facebook friends that, you know, she like, like me, I'm not, I don't care who's my Facebook friend. So I just click everybody in. Oh no, but, that's horrible. I know. It's really horrible. I don't really care who's there. You know, <laughs> come on in. Um, so I was hoping she would do the same thing, but it was uh, a no-go. But she sent me like she sent me a message, and her message was, Are you my brother? <laughs> wow. She just knew right away, like mm-hmm. she just suspected. So it was really interesting. And you know, she told me that they were very open to meeting me. And so we have a relationship now. She actually lives in Sudbury, so it's it's only about uh three hours drive. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. Do you see a family resemblance? I don't really like every, they all tell me, Oh, you look like your grandfather, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I don't see it. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) at what age were you adopted? Oh, like right out of the womb. (laughs) Right out of the womb. It was like, take a number. Yeah. Out of the womb, right onto a, like a little uh, um, conveyor belt. And then that runs along to like, you know, a parent and they pick you up up the conveyor belt and then Mm -hmm. there you go. And what age did you were you told that you were adopted? Oh, I always knew. Uh, my parents, uh, my uh, my um, adopted parents, told me right from birth. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was never it was never any secret or anything. I mean, it was pretty clear I was adopted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they were like, oh, you know, my sister as well. We, I mean, we looked nothing like our parents, and right, you know, right. we have we had no inter- like similar interests. Like we were just all different people. It was a weird house. Okay, sure. <laughs> and uh, so this was all like uh, the Waverly area. What is there called? Waverly, Waverly Heights, Heights, right? Yeah, Waverly, Waverly Heights. Well, I was actually, um, um, Waverly Heights was, we moved there when I was six. We were actually in Biscayne Bay was the name of the street. And it was behind the, it used to be a Safeway at, um, across from the Holiday Inn. McGillivray Park, is that what it's called, maybe? So yeah, so we're basically just a little, uh, a little west of Pemina there. You just moved a little south. And yeah. what were you doing as a kid? What were you playing a lot to? of like uh, playing with trucks, <laughs> like, like Hot Wheels, kicking a ball around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shooting jacks. Yeah, I had a little hoop that I would hit with a stick down the road. Kick <laughs> <laughs> <If you> can. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you have a bunch of friends you'd hang out with? Run around uh, with yeah, you again. Yeah, I was a pretty, pretty typical kid, right? Like we grew up um, in the seventies. We were children in the seventies and and early eighties. So, you know, it was a it was a bike riding culture. So, you know, it was it was get outdoors. You're know, we always in packs of kids with bikes. Right? Right. Like you just biked everywhere, and and you know, you go, you get on your bike, and you go looking for the yard with all the bikes in it, and that's where all the kids were hanging out, and you just kind of join in the fun. <laughs> right. Right. What uh, elementary is that? Uh, oh my God! You're really challenging me. Uh, I don't. Chancellor. I don't actually remember. I went to. I remember um, Bonnie Castle was my was my school that I went to once we moved to Waverly. Did you do any like summer trips? Yeah, we used to do a lot of camping. We used to go like uh, we go across the border to um, like Bemidji, and uh, I don't and, know what that uh, is. Bemidji. Oh. Yeah, Bemidji, like you know the movie Fargo. They always that that whole movie. It's called Fargo, but it all takes place in Bemidji. Okay, (laughs) it's like they have a big they have a big Paul Bunyan and the big blue ox statue there, and 
Um, it's like, uh, it's uh, North Dakota. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's wild. It's, and it, there's like a lot of little campgrounds around there. Like uh, a lot of, um, a lot of Winnipegers would kind of drive that, drive uh, south to, to camp out. Right. Okay. And then, um, and Clear Lake, you know, Clear Lake was always a, a destination too. the, yeah, I spent many a, many a dollar at the, um, at the log cabin theater there. Yeah, we were just there. I mean, we just, uh, last year we went, but it was closed because of COVID. We tried to get to it this year, but uh, forgot about the time switch from Saskatchewan. And <laughs> like, oh. I was like, ah, I really want to check it out again. That <laughs> yeah, was so much fun. That was good times, man. I love that theater so much. Like, probably saw 100 movies there over the years. Yeah, for sure. Because you're a movie guy. You're actually... I'm a movie guy, but, you know, uh, we would go camping for like a month there. Like, we would go for long stretches. Mm-hmm. And the way that theater works is they change the movie every two days. So yeah. like it was always changing. So there was always something new to see there. It was great. I remember seeing police Academy, the first police Academy. And it was such an incredible experience. Like, um, like seeing that in a packed movie theater in like the campground mm-hmm. and like just seeing the audience response to that movie. It was incredible. I thought it must be like the highest grossing movie ever made because the audience was so into it like it was crazy right that's cool so uh now you're going into junior high where were you junior high uh junior high was uh arthur a leach arthur a leach and then it's was it just there until grade nine and then you went to frc or how did you end up yeah seven eight nine was at arthur a leach and those were both you know when i moved to waverly heights that was a whole new community like that was a that was a full suburb that they built right so um, both my schools were in that suburb, like Squeaky they clean schools. Yeah. So they were both built for us. Like basically when we moved in, actually, I think Arthur A. Leach was around, but Bonnie Castle, I went there the first year that it went up. Wow. Uh, in fact, I watched it being built weirdly enough. But, um, <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Uh, and then I went to, of course, FRC, Fort Richmond Collegiate, uh, mm-hmm. after that. So before we get into high school, like, so you're obviously influenced by like eighties movies and, and, and television. Like uh, you, you spent a lot of time watching movies. Like let's, you just go to the video stores and, and movie theaters. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, you know, uh, yeah. Movies were a really big part of my childhood for sure. Um, my parents didn't go to theaters, but they, but they would go to the drive-in like uh, a lot. And um, because my mom would like take a bunch of pills and fall asleep. Yeah. Um, and so my dad would like watch, every 80s sex comedy like and we would be in the back of our station wagon like watching these crazy sex comedies like (laughs) i grew up with them like you know so i i'm very well versed in like all that um and it was a crazy subculture like uh you know the porkies and and uh you know revenge of the nerds and all those movies uh, my tutor i saw them all like it was you know and you know the only person who would tell me not to was like passed out already. So it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a cool thing. And, you know, and then, you know, maybe when I was about 11 or 12, we got our first VCR and that like, that just opened up the world, you know, yeah. like, I was a that, game that, you know, there was a time when there were, there were video rental stores on every, like they were, they were as prominent as Tim Hortons are now. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Like, do you remember the one that you would go to regularly? I don't remember what it was called, but it was it was in Waverly Heights. It was like uh, it was down the road just a bit, um, and all the movies were in these were in these giant cases, like they were these big bubble cases. Yeah, um, and it was wild. Like, and they only ever had two copies of anything, you know. Like, so you would go there and you would just wait there and wait for people to return movies. <laughs> yeah. <That's> like, <laughs> Hoping that they would return the movie that you wanted. Yeah, on like, time. Had to be oh. back by a certain time, and you're just yeah. you show up. And you're just okay. I'm on it. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll they'll show up and not pay. Yeah, late. we would just stand there and wait. And every movie that came in, we go, "What movie was that?" Because <laughs> you, know, like, you know, there was it was the selection was like uh, it wasn't blockbuster. You know, there wasn't 80 copies of everything. It was like sometimes there was only one copy. Yeah. Do you think it was uh, your love of of film and and movie, especially comedies? It seems like comedy was your thing. Is that why you may have entered like a drama in drama class in Fort Richmond Collegiate or you excelled? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I wanted to be a director when I was really young before I knew how crappy that job is. Um, I, you know, I really, that was, that's what I wanted. I, 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 uh, I would watch movies just for the shots. I would like write out the shot list sometimes. Like while I was watching them, I would, 
you know, make a note of what the scene was and what shots they used. Like I was really fascinated by all that. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, that, that actually went away after a while, once I got into theater a little bit more and, you know, um, had a little bit, (laughs) had better things to do with my time. But, you know, as a kid, like that, that was, I found that all very fascinating. Did you do any plays at FRC? I did every play at FRC. You did really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the trouble is like, I'm not like, you know, I, I'm a, I, I would say I'm a very good, or I was a very good uh, theater actor, stage actor, yeah. but I don't sing. And they would always do musicals. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and they recognized that I was like a good comedic actor. So I would always get a lead role, but I couldn't sing. I couldn't do the songs. So they would have to like have somebody sing with me or like, you know, I would like just give them to somebody else to do, even though they were meant for my character. Right. Um, because I, just had no, I had no interest in singing and I was terrible at it. So okay. um, I, I, I much more enjoyed when they would do straight uh, plays than, than when they would do the, the musicals. But, you know, in schools, you're, they usually do the musicals. Right. And it is, was it from the, uh, the theater workshops and rehearsal is where the improv started? Because uh, you were doing improv lunch shows, right? I mean, that's where it started. Yeah, like... I, I can't remember the name of any of my teachers, but one of them really turned me on, turned us on the whole lot of us to like theater sports. I had a satellite dish for some reason. My parents had a satellite dish. So I would get British shows. And this is right around the time that um, Whose Line Is It Anyways started the British version. Mm-hmm. And so everybody would come to my house and watch Whose Line Is It Anyways. Really? And wow. So we just, we basically stole all their games. Like we, we just did all the games that we saw in there. We would take them and, you know, once a month we would book out, we had a theater too, right? In our school, it wasn't a gymnasium. It was an actual um, theater in the round. Yeah. Like a full theater. So we would just put up our own posters. We would recruit a couple of teachers to be judges and uh, people would just get their lunch and come and we'd fill that room, right? Like we'd just fill it up. Like right. it would be packed. We'd have two, 300 people in there and we would do a lunch show. Somewhere in there, uh, All Star Nobody's was formed was a sketch troupe I was involved with, you were involved with. Jeff yep. Hughes, Matt Kippen. Yep. And just started doing shows. Did we do any shows at the school? Or no. was it just? No, it was after. It was right after graduation. Um, our first show was the Fringe Show. Right. Okay. Yeah. The Winnipeg Fringe Festival. And uh, so it'd be like doing a yearly show or maybe just one at that point time for all. I think, what, I think what we would do, actually, we came out of the gate pretty strong because we did you know, we did a, a, maybe two or three shows before before Sandy showed up. Yeah. So um, I think we did the Fringe, and then I think a couple of months later we did like an improv. We would do improv shows right in between, and yeah. then we would do like one. We did a Christmas themed show, um, the Weasels on Thirty Fourth Street. I think it was called. Like that. Yeah. That was more of a play, right? We kind of wrote. Uh, kids, we wrote like kind of a, a connecting tissue play, like almost a herald, but like a like a, like a holy grail type thing, where it's just yeah. like sketches based around one character. Yeah, I don't even remember when it what went on. Like, I don't remember like any of the scenes from it, but uh, I remember we, you know, we pulled it off. Like we did it. Yeah, because that was the thing. It was like the four of us, and then and Jeff was kind of the ringleader, and then he had he went to uh, Alberta for dinner theater, I believe. And Sandy showed an interest. He was in yeah. there in the four. Jeff came back and we were five. Yeah, so, that's right. So, yeah. So, yeah, what happened was, uh, yeah, Jeff went away and we we needed a fourth. Um, and it wasn't for the fringe. It was just for like a show that we had, a separate show that we had booked. Yeah, because we booked a lot at uh, Venue 8, which was uh, third floor Mother Tucker's. And the Planetarium. Those were the two places where we, all, all our sketch was at Planetarium. I don't right. think we ever did sketch at Venue 8. Okay. Okay. But our improv venue is venue eight. That was a good venue for it too. It was nice and tight and packed and just like, you know, a good 80, a good 80 folks could slam themselves in there. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was perfect for improv for sure. And like, you know, there was a bar downstairs and like, uh, um, you know, really we were just trying to get to the after party, right? We just have a good time after. Exactly. Did you know Sandy before he joined the group? I uh, not really. I think what happened was when we were looking for another guy, San, uh, Matt, who is in high school with Sandy, um, suggested that uh, we we have a talk with him because mm-hmm. uh, they were, I don't know, doing a show together at high school or something. And um, right. Sandy thought he was he'd be a good or um, Matt thought he'd be a good fit. So 
Right. Um, I mean, I think I met him at the same time as everybody else. I think I remember Sandy, like one of the first times I met him, he, he like tracked down a dude at Scandals who stole my leather jacket out of the bar. <laughs> he ran after them in the parking lot and got it back. I was like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. He probably paid the guy to steal it so that just so they could impress you. <laughs> so we're doing fringe, fringe, fringe. And then uh, we decide, well, after Jeff, you know, he kind of split. We kind of went separate ways there. He did Twisted Nipple. Yep. Four of us continued as Brave New Weasels. But then we moved yeah. to Toronto. That's right, 1996. <laughs> so funny, I'm just recapping this because we both know this history here. But yeah, so we moved into a house in Toronto, Pape, Pape and Danforth? It was on, it was uh, Jones and Dan, uh, Jones, uh, it was on uh, like off of Woodbine kind of thing. Woodbine, right? that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, yeah. Uh, and we lived with Dean at the time, it was five of us. Dean Henry, that's right. Dean Henry, right, right. And the, you, you and Matt flew out first. And then by the time I got out there, you're like, Hey, we we are we're at Second City. <laughs> he got like uh, spotted doing improv, and they're just like, "You guys know what you're doing. Come take classes." So, yeah. Free. So, it, so what happened was, I actually got out there first with Dean, and so we were there a couple of weeks by ourselves, and then Matt arrived. Yeah. And when Matt arrived, we yeah we went to uh, we just we went to a bar called the Pilot. We saw they were having like a like a, a comedy night, and so we cold called the guy and said, "Hey." we're kind of new in town. We don't know a lot of people. Um, can we get on the bill? Can we just do something fun? We don't have, you know, we just do kind of goofy songs and stuff. Again, yeah. I hate singing, but that's what we did that night was uh, some of our, we did camp counselor, camp canker worm. Is that what it's called? Camp, camp canker worm. Canker. Yeah. <laughs> and we did the beer song. Um, and so they were like, yeah, come on out, come on out. So we went out and like, while we were there, we met, um, we met, Someone from Second City who was like some rando who was like, you know, had like been on the, you know, uh, the traveling troop or whatever. Um, right. He was uh, he was so he was teaching one of the classes and and he's like, oh, you guys should take Second City classes. And Matt and I were like, well, we don't have any money. We're broke, you know. And he goes, oh, that's OK. Like, if you want, just come like uh, fill out the class a little. Um, there's lots of room. Yeah. And we're like free Second City classes. That sounds awesome. So. Yeah, we did that. We we did that. And we like, you know, I, they didn't lead anywhere, but we had a good time. Like, you know, it felt like we were really in Toronto, you know, like. Oh, absolutely. The, it's like you're dropped scene. in and you're totally accepted right off the bat. It's, yeah. And I was like, oh, a second city guy is to you. Like, you know, this guy, like, he was, who knows who he was, but you know, <laughs> he was like, back then we were like, he was like the king, you know, like we got a second city guy. So. Right, right. And you know, Sandy, Sandy uh, was fortunate enough to get in at uh, Second City, so um, he kind of met some great people that um, allowed us to do some shows at Second City. And oh man, I'll never forget that fire hall show yeah. we did there. That was incredible. Even the the privilege of being behind the stage to see all the, you know, just uh, the the signatures on the door and just to you know, yeah, oh, it was really cool. It was, it was absolutely it was, unbelievable. It was such a it was such an, a a great thing um, to be able to do all that for sure. <clears throat> yeah, were you there at the the? I think it was the final week it was open. And Martin Short came and I was there. Yeah, we all were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we all went for that. It was wonderful. Yeah. So then, as a troupe, we're we're performing at Spirits Bar and Grill and wherever we can just find some time to get up there to get on get some stage. Yeah, and you and I, you and I. Um, started to move into stand-up a little bit right at that time um, yeah i mean i had done one set right before i moved to toronto i did my first set ever in winnipeg at uh is there rumors there if it was it was probably rumors yeah rumors yeah yeah so i did my first set at, uh ever at rumors right because i just cold called the guy i remember like when i went in to talk to the guy um this will set it in a time capsule the uh white bronco was driving down the road on the tv Right, holy that's crazy. Yeah, so they were all glued to the TV watching uh watching OJ drive his Bronco while I was trying to get a job, basically. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, they said, okay, um, you know, come in on whatever Monday night, um, and and you can like get up on stage for five minutes before the headliner kind of thing. Wow, I can't believe they did that. They were pretty strict back then, from what I hear. 
Yeah, it was it was like uh, it was crazy. So I went up and I did five minutes. And I got like I got a ton of laughs. Like I was like, oh, that didn't go bad at all. And the headliner, who I don't know, I don't even know who he was, but um, you know those one of those grizzled old road comics. Yeah, um, was like, oh, that was really good. Like I can't believe that's your first time. I was like, well, I only have these ten jokes, but I guess they're pretty good jokes. And that's right. I remember you seeing your stand up and just being like amazed at how great you were, but like without really having any experience doing stand up. Like with me, I was just doing trying to just do characters doing stand up, you know. But you you seem to have the natural, you know, flair for it, which is why it always kind of struck me you didn't stick with it. Well, you know, my problem was um, that I had a real difficult time doing the same jokes twice. Like, I always felt like I was betraying the audience to, like, tell jokes I'd already told before. Right. So every time I booked stand-up, I would write a new five minutes. So it was like, it was right. not sustainable. Right, and, right. Uh, and the truth is, if I hadn't have latched on in TV, um, like, if I hadn't have got the opportunities that I got, like, uh, got a foot in the door, I probably would have stuck with stand-up. Right. I probably would, like, probably have you know, made, made my living being a stand-up comedian. Right. For sure. Okay. Uh, and we're going to get, let's get into that now since we're talking TV, cause you got a long list of credits, hundreds of hours of TV writing and producing. Yeah. Um, and your first credit is uh freaky stories. Yeah. That, uh, that was, I mean, it was only a two or three page script. It was, it was like, um, that show was, um, really simple it was one character talking telling a story it was and then the animators would draw the story so but how did you get the opportunity because you were I, you, you know i remember when you, i was living with you you got a rejection letter from mad magazine <laughs> like so you <laughs> when did you really start writing and taking the writing seriously as something you want to do as a profession oh gosh i mean this is all going to be out of order because i honestly this is i don't really remember um everything like it just it's lost the time a little bit but I got hooked up with a guy um, named Vince who was doing, and I don't remember how I got hooked up with him, but he had a company where they put out these greeting cards. Um, it was like digital greeting cards. It was like really early on in kind of the internet. And uh, you would write these digital greeting cards and they could have a couple of lines. So you would send them to people as greeting cards, but they would have a little bit of animation to them. Okay. And so you could put a joke in there. Okay. And so I was writing these digital greeting cards and they paid like a hundred dollars each and I would send them like hundreds. Like I would just like, and they would pick like six, you know, but um, <laughs> I was like, pay, pay me money. Here's some more, you know, like. And just up all night racking your brain, trying to come up I, with them. I really was because even though I wrote a hundred and they only, and they chose six, like that still was more, way more money than I was making at second cup. So, yeah. you know, um, that guy, Vince, he ended up, going on to, um, to um, I don't know if he founded it, but he's like one of the big wigs that, uh, that created this company called Nine Story that is now a massive um, animation house, you know, huge multi-million dollar company. And, and uh, I mean, wow. he remembered me a little. So, you know, he, he totally gave me some work along the way. But this is also um, around the time I met my uh, uh, girlfriend who would eventually become my wife michelle michelle um, of course and she was a first ad for um some preschool shows and you know when she and she was she got on as a producer at nelvana an, an, an animation studio here in toronto mm -hmm. and you know she bandied my name around a little bit and uh opened a few doors for me there as well so um you know definitely um, have to make sure that uh, um, I give credit where credit's due because she definitely <laughs> helped me out a lot. And you two currently have a production company called Head Spinner. Yep. You went into business for yourselves. Yeah, I mean, Michelle, um, you know, we spent, I mean, we spent 20 years um, just doing the grind, um, working for other people and, yeah. you know, getting a reputation in the business and making connections. And at some point we just thought like, you know, now it's time to do it for ourselves. Like now it's time to, you know, we put in the hard work. Let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's cut out the middleman. Right. You know, let's become the middleman. It's certainly paying off. We'll get to that in a sec, but just going back into your history of uh, your producing and writing, like, so yeah, so you got an opportunity. You, so freaky stories was the first 
Um, I wouldn't even call Freaky Stories a script because it was more like writing it, like writing one person's first person dialogue, and then and then it, you know they ad, they would animate that. Okay, um, but it was but it was my first uh, it was my first writing job that I was paid for that actually made it to TV. So mm-hmm. it was like my first produced my first produced script. And what was your first head writing job? Uh, there's writers. There's a team of writers on shows, and then you I think became a head writer. Yeah, so I, I ended up becoming a staff writer at Nelvana. Okay, um, and uh, and I ended up writing for a show called My Dad the Rockstar, which That's was Gene Simmons, of course, created by Gene Simmons. Yeah, created by Gene Simmons. It was a cute little show, um, and in, in the second season, they wanted to keep it in house, like uh, um, which is code for they didn't want to pay anybody, you know. <laughs> to, <laughs> to do the job right. uh, outside of their salary. So, um, so yeah, they gave me the head writing job on it because I had written several scripts uh, for the first season. <laughs> You're like Sylvester P. Smith with your mop in the corner. Like, how yeah. about you be a head writer? That's right. Uh, famous cracked icon, uh, <laughs> Sylvester P. Smythe. Uh, for- <laughs> yeah. So that was, so that was it. Yeah. I, I, I had a team of four writers. Uh, I was the head writer and, and uh, yeah, we were all wrote it together, and, and mm-hmm. uh, it was was, really was the Gene Simmons give you notes on like no, how, Gene how involved had, was he? <laughs> he was not. I don't think he even remembered that he had, like had a show. Like so, the the, the story that I heard, uh, and almost certainly true, was that uh, he was uh, on an airplane with the head of Nelvana sitting together. Yeah, and uh, the head of Nelvana said, "Hey, do you want a show?" And Gene Simmons says, "You know, sure." And then they, and then he had nothing to do with it other than probably cashing the checks. Uh, God bless him. You know, like if you're in a position and uh, to 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 do that, you know, yeah. the fact that he lent his, you know, lent his name to the project and um, and ended up being a really cute, fun show. So I certainly don't uh, harbor any uh, negative feelings towards the guy for that. But totally, um, it-, it was great. You had a daytime Emmy nomination. Like this is crazy. <laughs> With uh, Bigfoot presents Meteor, Meteor and the Mighty Monster Trucks. So it was a it was a show for it was a preschool show for Discovery Kids. Um, is this Nelvana too? This one was after. So after Might Have the Rockstar, um, I kind of wised up to the fact that I wasn't actually making any money, like uh, for all the work I was doing. Right. Um, so I left. I got an agent. Um, and, and I, and that's where I started working for other companies besides, I still worked for Nelvana. Like, um, they really liked me there and I did a lot more work for them, but, um, I also started working for other companies. So no, that wasn't with Nelvana, but I was the showrunner of it. And, uh, and as the showrunner, I got a, a creative producer credit. Um, and it was, uh, you know, when the show got nominated, all the producers of note got nominated as well. So I kind of, uh, and then a showrunner is just someone who's like just making sure the whole show is happening and everyone's on time or what, what is the, the definition? A showrunner is basically a head writer with added responsibility. A head writer who also sees the entire is, – is kind of like the business manager and, and like um, sees the show from, you know, top to tail, start to finish. Yeah, like you got to make sure – like a micromanager. You got to make sure yeah. everyone's doing their job and still – Yeah, and so when the, when the, uh, when the executives want to yell at someone, you're the person they yell at because like they need they – <laughs> Did need you ever get person. that? No, 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 all the time. <laughs> And, you know, it's like when there when there's a problem, they want to have somebody to point the finger at, and right. like, uh, you know, that's the showrunner's job to kind of absorb that. But then you have to point the finger, right? Like, isn't yeah, that no? Like, you know, I run my writing rooms differently. I, you know, like we're all in it together, but I, I, I'll absorb the attacks, and okay, and, and it's not that often. Like, usually, like it's the other side of it is, you know, you're also the guy they give the praise to when when you know uh, things are looking good, and, right? That happens more times than the other, for sure. So you didn't attend the Emmys. I did. Yeah, you did. You went yeah. to the Emmys. Wow. We went to the, we went to the daytime Emmys. Yeah, I sat at um, whose table was it? Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres' table. The- not with, not <laughs> with at Ellen her table. Not with Ellen DeGeneres, but it was with the the people from her show uh, who were up for an award. Right. And uh, I think, like on that night, like 
Um, Oprah kept winning everything, so they were all getting drunker and drunker, and uh, it was a good. It was a good time. Jim Jim Gaffigan. I talked to Jim Gaffigan, and wow. I to, yeah, it was like you know everybody was there. It was uh, like all the soap opera stars were there, and wow, yeah. Um, I mean, we were I think seated uh, next to the kitchen, so I, I was pretty sure we weren't going to win, but <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, and then, okay, so moving, you started getting into like sci-fi, Stargate Atlantis, right? Like that was a, yeah. a whole different ship for you. Yeah, that was just like a, a kind of a lucky fluke circumstance that landed me um, a staff writing job on that show um, through my agent. Uh, my agent and the, one of the showrunners are friends. And so uh, typically the writers in his agency kind of get to have a phone call with Stargate mm-hmm. um, as part of like, you know, um, you're just something you all kind of get to do. And it just so happened that when I had my phone call, they had just fired somebody and they had his position open. So it was like, <laughs> it was just total fluke. And I, and I pitched them a story they hadn't heard that they hadn't seen before. So, wow. Um, yeah. It was, it was, you know, like this business is like 90% luck, you know, mm-hmm. 10% skill kind of thing. But, um, and that was, you do get lucky. It's nice to have, yeah, you got to have that skill to back it up. So. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, uh, yeah, if you can't back it up, that, that luck's not going to last. You're not going to, you're not going to have a long career, but. Um, right. Was that was, pitch? Yeah, it, was, it was good. The story that you pitched them, was that the story that made it to air? Or did you, was there a whole bunch of, you know, hullabaloo? To, well, it, it was funny. It I pitched them about four stories. I almost actually, I, I pitched them. I wrote, I wrote like five page premises for two stories mm-hmm. and both of them kind of, they didn't go for it. And I was like, Oh crap. And then like, I had like another kind of half page and they didn't go for that either. And they were ending the call. I could feel them ending the call. And I, and I had like, I had like a couple of other ideas that were literally just one line. And, and as the call was ending, I was like, Oh, let me throw one more thing at you. You know, it was like, and I said the line and there was silence and then they were like, Oh, that one's doable. You know? So it was like, I worked Ew. for hours and hours and hours. And the one they picked was like the one I, I probably jotted down in like two seconds uh, you right. know, and didn't another, fully flesh out. Another greeting card. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Sure. Um, and then you kind of had a string of uh, YTV hits or at least involved in them, uh, starting with Mr. Young. I remember yeah. Mr. Young. This is when my, so when my son were, were, were watching YTV together and watching these shows. So. Yeah, Mr. Young is just like kind of like a Doogie Howser, but he's a teacher, <laughs> you know. Isn't yeah, it's about a kid teacher. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, I just again, I I have a I have this U.S. agent. I don't use them very often, but every now and then they give my my sample scripts to like producers and stuff. And it just happened to kind of go through the channels, and it got to the right people. Uh, the creator Dan Signer um, read my sample script, which was like for a sitcom set in a comic book shop, and he loved it. And he was like, yeah. So I got that job and went to Vancouver for six months and uh, worked on the first season and it went really well. It was like um, multi-camera, like just like the, you know, uh, big bang theory or shows like that. Like yeah, you do it in front yeah. of a live audience. Um, you know, you tape, you tape it in front of an audience and that was really cool. It allowed me to learn how to watch four cameras at the same time and, Mm-hmm. how to um you know write on the fly because if the audience doesn't laugh you know you just the people at home aren't gonna laugh so really? if the audience doesn't laugh we stop and we rewrite it like in the moment get that really while the audience is there waiting while the audience is there we go okay take two try saying this instead and we'll give them like another line this is a weird question is it a paid audience no, no, we do. They got you put that you put an ad in the paper, and they like it's like it's they show up, it's a free show, and right. And then you start getting the same people back because you put it like you know, you have a guy who plays games with the audience in between shots, and at oh, the end okay. of the night, the, the actors sign autographs. So you start to see some some of the same people, but no, it's like it's it's a just total like, um, just kind of a total fun thing to do. and in Vancouver. And I think it's the same everywhere. I don't think you have to pay for even like the Disney shows or the, the big sitcoms. Yeah. It's all just like, um, you know, sign up basically. Do you think Mr. Young was a bit of an inspiration for the Stanley dynamic? Because you, you created the Stanley dynamic, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's the show. Basically, it's again, it's a sitcom show, very much in the style of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where one of the one of the kids is a cartoon character. Yeah, and the actors have to work around, you know, basically acting with with nothing there. Was there anybody no, with there? there? With nothing there. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah, it, it was a multi camera. It had never been done. Like we, it was the first time ever, and I don't think they've done it since because it's on four cameras, so you can't just have a green screen and like you know, like you would a single camera show. Right. Um, because uh, it's four different cameras shooting at the same time. So they had to just have eye lines. We'd give them the eye line, they'd act to nothing, and then we'd put the cartoon in later. I always thought like the dad on that show was based on you because you guys look similar, <laughs> acted a little goofy, you know? You know what? There's a little bit of that for sure. I mean, another thing that we didn't talk about was that I was like, I, I, I wanted to be a, um, a cartoon strip writer and, and artist when I was really young. Oh. So, and even in my college paper, I had a cartoon, uh, I had a, like a, a far side style cartoon strip. Okay. Um, what was it so called? It was called Balcony Closed, okay. which, which I think I stole from like uh, the Cisco and Ebert show because they would say that at the end. The, the balcony's show. closed. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was called Balcony, Balcony Closed. And, uh, and, it, and that it's, it's an image I saw a lot being in the theaters because, um, uh, the downtown theater in Winnipeg, uh, ha, which one was it? It was, um, it was, they had two theaters in one building. The Met? Maybe. Yeah. And, and the upstairs was always closed. So it always had the balcony closed sign on. Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, like I, I just like, you know, so that was kind of inspirational as well. The balcony closed sign. Um, anyways. Yeah. So, um, I was big into comic strips and I was big into like, um, I've always liked that kind of world and I love the show. Um, was it too close for comfort? Yes. Ted Knight. Ted Knight. Um, I love that show. And he was a cartoonist, like, you know, he's like, um, and he would draw his cartoons. And I think they even had like a little bit of animation in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I, cow. Kind of, yeah, the cow, the, the cosmic cow, right. Cosmic, cosmic cow. cow. Right. Um, so I kind of, I kind of, took that and took inspiration from shows like family ties, mostly family ties, but family style shows. And I combined them into that world. And then the big hook was that one of the kids was actually a cartoon. Right. Right. Well, it was just amazing. It went on for a couple seasons, right? Yeah. 52 episodes we made. It was a, it was a good run. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And got some good stars in there too. It was nice seeing a lot of not only uh, Canadian actors that you would know, like Alan Thicke, was in one, right? Alan Thicke, it was like after he died. So it was like, it was a posthumous appearance. I think it was the last, the last thing he ever did. Wow. Yeah. But being from Toronto and like knowing a few people in that scene, it would see like, oh, there's actors that are comedians that I used to see on stage now are doing your show. So that was really cool that you have to bring all your friends in. Yeah. I know, you know, we got Michael Gross. That was a big get for us was having Michael Gross. Because, <laughs> you know, like I said, um, Family Ties was a big inspiration for the show and, we brought in Jaleel White. Uh, Steve Urkel was uh, yeah. in a, was in a two parter. That was like we never thought we'd be able to get that guy, and like he was so much fun to 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 work with. Right, if that's the idea, right? You're just like, who would we want to work with? And you know, they'll never say yes, but then you ask him, and you know, well, I was ask. trying to like my goal was to get as many sitcom dads as I could. Like I wanted okay. to get sitcom dads, so I got Michael Gross, and we got Alan Thicke. And, uh, and then I was like, I was trying to get Reginald Bell Johnson, um, family matters. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, um, the word I was getting that he, that he was maybe, um, a little too, uh, getting a little too elderly to play the role. Uh, So he said, Oh, well, how about Jaleel White? You think he'd be up for it? Um, and so that's how we got Jaleel and he was all on board. But then I felt bad because then I was watching uh, an episode of uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine recently, and Reginald Bell Johnson was on it, and he looked great. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we... <laughs> shit. Yeah. So I wish I had both. I mean, like we won the lottery with Jaleel; he was so great. But um, hmm. you know, I would have loved to work with Reginald as well. And of course, I can't I have to mention your you, you, this year, twenty twenty two. You and Sandy won a Canadian Screen Award. Canadian yeah. Screen Award, amazing. Yeah. Best writing animation for hilarious, yeah. no, sorry, Happy, for House happy, of Frightenstein. Yeah, a preschool version of the old uh, uh, hilarious House of Frightenstein 
kid show yeah which you can see on youtube that's where i caught all of them they're all there they're like three minute little cartoons they're pretty yeah, they're cool. really short they're actually interstitials uh that play on um that play on family channel junior mm-hmm. um but then you can also access them through uh through youtube like i know the story but just maybe I, it's pretty interesting because everyone loves the hilarious house of frightenstein everyone remembers that show as a kid everyone yeah. cites it as being like you know um uh, just one of their, the go-to shows that was in their childhood. And you and Sandy acquired the rights to the show. It was, it was, it was bizarre. Like, so Sandy, I said to Sandy one day, I said, you know, after Stanley Dynamic, it was in the last season of Stanley Dynamic. And I said, you know, I, I want to look into, I want to I get back into maybe doing some sketch series. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's one thing that I've always wanted to do that I haven't uh, yet cracked was getting a sketch show. Yeah. And I said, you know, the perfect one will be Hilarious House of Frankenstein because I have all these kid connections and it can be for YTV or it can be for CBC Kids. And I think it'd be re- it's perfect for an update. Yeah. And Sandy said, oh, well, you know, we already I already tried to get those rights. Um, I worked with a couple of other people and we tried to get the rights a few years ago. And it turns out they were owned by two brothers who were estranged. One of them lives in Palm Springs and one uh-huh. of them lives here in Toronto. And they weren't talking. They were apparently estranged. The one brother who's here, who really wanted to get something going with it, uh, was just stalled because his brother, you know, owned half the owned fifty percent. So it was a no go. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't do anything. And the guy, Mitch Markowitz, is his name, um, said, "Go talk to my brother Riff in Palm Springs and convince him." <laughs> like, right. guy, like. Um, and then that, and then like, of course they didn't because it was just, you know, it, it was too complicated, like trying to deal with two brothers who were estranged. Right. It wasn't like, they, they, are they just living off their money or are they at other ventures, money from the oh, show? No, or the- no, no, no. Well, Riff went on to do show, Riff went into show business. Um, like he also did Party Game. Do you remember the show Party Game? Not it like really. A, it was a Canadian game show where they played charades and they would have like, Canadian celebrities play charades. Um, and then he went to Palm Springs and started something called the Palm Springs Review, which was a, a big sketch review like uh, that that was very popular in Palm Springs for years and years. Then he just retired uh, in the last couple of years from that. Okay. Uh, like probably 25 years they did that. And Mitch, who is the younger brother, uh, he left the TV business to tour with Doug Henning and, and did like... Uh, wow. Yeah, he so he was uh, he was Doug Henning's manager or like something like that. that is and after crazy. that, he got into after that he got into real estate. So he made all his money in real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now he's retired um, and he's getting back into like he wanted to get the the, the license back up and he wanted he wanted Frankenstein to be um, you know viable again. So it just so happened again talking about luck. Uh, Sandy and I decided to call him up and say, Hey, listen, we're two fans. We both work in television. We have a lot of credits. Um, you know, Sandy's an actor. I'm a writer, producer, showrunner. Um, you know, we love the show. Can you spare us some time? Can we come have a meeting with you? Yeah. We went to his house and we spent six hours at his house. Like he wanted to show us his little museum. He wanted to show us everything. So I bet. Yeah. Like we looked all like he, like all his memorabilia, like, and you know, like he has a little museum in his basement that he calls it the museum. And it's just like stuff he's bought on eBay and it's like got signatures and stuff. <laughs> sure. Like, cool. You know, like uh, uh, Johnny Carson's hairbrush, you know, like, stuff like that. <laughs> hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of a PT Barnum style guy. Like he's a self promoter, you know, like, so um, anyways, as it happened, him and his brother had reconciled like just weeks earlier. And his brother said, I don't want anything to do with Frightenstein. You can just have it. <laughs> so, whoa. So we walked in the door at the exact moment that he now had all the rights to the show. So we, uh, so we pitched him and we wined and dined him and, yep. you know, we, we, Got him you know, drunk. we had a good business plan. <laughs> You know, the one thing we had over the competition, um, if there was any at that time, is that we had a good business plan. We had a, we had a plan of attack that yeah. could get it done. Now, we ran into a lot of complications with the um, Frankenstein license in that it's a 50-year-old property. It is not in any way politically correct. Um, it's it not? Was, uh, 
it, it has like one actor, one great Canadian actor. Yes. Um, but Billy he's ben. playing some, he's, he's playing, you know, different races and he's got a little bit of brown face and he's got a little bit of yellow face. Okay. And, uh, you know, they didn't license any of the music. They basically stole the design of Universal's Wolfman. The, oh, oh no. The character of Super Hippie has the Superman logo on his shirt. Like they just didn't care, right? Like they didn't know it was the 70s. Right. It was and it's a Canadian show that no one's gonna watch that yeah, thinking. Probably. Exactly. So we um had a little problem in that, like when we tried to pitch it to people, they'd heard of it, but in watching it again, they go, Oh, like this is like uh I'm not sure I remember this part, you know. <laughs> like uh, wow. I'm not sure we remember there was one guy playing a, a female and like playing like all the roles. And so it, it was an uphill battle. Um, and so that's why we changed gears to the preschool show because oh. we were, we were running into some difficulties and as much as everybody says they love it from executives to broadcasters, to fans, the trouble is that nobody wants to pay for it. Nobody wants to take a chance um, because that old show comes with some uh, challenges. Right. Of course, we got to talk about Hudson and Rex. It's coming on its fifth season. Yeah. Episode yeah. one premiering this month. I think it's the 22nd, 25th, 25th. This was a, a show you uh, you created or behind? Um, Adapted. I didn't, I didn't create it. It's actually based on a German show called um, called Commissaire Rex that aired for years and years in Germany. Big, big, uh, big, big show in, in Europe. What's it called? Commissaire? Commissaire, like uh, Commissioner Rex or, okay. or, sure. okay. uh, or Officer Rex, it stands for something like that. Right. Um, and so they wanted to do a North American version and, and uh, I developed it um, and rolled the pilot and it got picked up off, off, off the basis of my uh, development package. So, wow. But um, isn't that show based on like Turner and Hooch? <laughs> or, uh, no, K-9? you think so. No, not at all. I mean, so Turner and Hooch as you'll recall, uh, was a cop and the dog was uh, the dog that belonged to someone who was shot dead and the dog was the witness. That Yeah, right. right. So um, Hudson Rex and the original show, Commissaire Rex, is a dog and his partner is uh, like a detective whose partner is his dog. Okay, yeah. So they're actually, they're both detectives together and like they, you know, and it, it it's funny because it sounds kind of silly and it is kind of silly um and when they were trying to sell it to the tv station they kept calling it the talking dog show even though the dog doesn't talk it's just a normal dog like, how's the talking dog show coming it's like the dog doesn't talk well, it's is it like r2d2 where like he just says beep boop boop and you know what he's saying <laughs> yeah no so it was like no he's just a dog it's like littlest hobo but with a detective right you know? and it just hit it just hit big yeah Season yeah, so I only, I, I only show around the first season because um, I had another show in contention at, at CTV at the time, and I had to leave to do the development on it. Um, but, you know, I still write maybe two or three episodes in each season, and uh, and I'm still uh, – I think I'm still a producer on it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing it. I don't actually do any work on it. You but. don't know. You don't know. Even you can't keep up with what you're – well, I know here. I get like my uh, developed by credit on every episode and I know like the checks keep rolling in. So, so something's something's going right over there. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's do it. Let's do the mantle money shot. 100 questions. Where the hell are they? 100 questions. I'm going to ask you, Ken Cooperus. You got to okay. answer them in five minutes. Are you up for this? Of course. Oh, boy. So I'm slow. I'm telling you, this is going to be bad. 90% of the answers have to be uh, correct. In other words, you just can't say jibber jabber. You have to like pretty much try to answer the question. Um, All right, let's do this. Jibber jabber. Uh, (laughs) Ken Cooperis, your money shot. $25.25. And now a little kiss karaoke. Hot, hot, hotter than hell. Name a Winnipeg movie theater. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Savatel Theater. Name a Winnipeg bar. <laughs> Name a Winnipeg bar. Spirit. Uh, oh no, that's not that. That's not Winnipeg. Told in the hole. Name a Winnipeg restaurant. Carlos and Murphy's. Name a Winnipeg park. A Cinnabon. Name a Winnipeg band. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, heavy early. Oh, nice. Uh, pick a number between one and ten. Three. 
Broccoli or cauliflower? Broccoli. Bananas or apples? Apples. Rice or potato? Potato. Favorite salad dressing? Ranch. Favorite soup? Tomato. Girls just want to have what? Fun, baby. Boys don't what? Um, cry. Name a Grammy winner. Oh, oh, is this a music question? Uh, Madonna. Name an Oscar winner. Steven Spielberg. What would you buy a Dollarama? A greeting card. How do how do you like your coffee? Black. Favorite subject in school? Uh, drama. Name a movie you've purchased. Ferris Bueller. Name a member of the band Kiss. Gene Simmons, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Name a Star Wars droid. Um, R2-D2. What do you bring to the beach? A towel. Name a John. Um, uh, Krasinski. Name a Betty. Uh, uh, White. Name a Chris. Uh, Cross. Name a science fiction movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, science fiction? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Name an 80s comedy. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Name a baseball movie. Um, love, for the love of the game. Name something blue. Sky. Name something red. Hell. Uh, name something green. Grass. Name something yellow. Um, my cowardice. Name something brown. Um, my derby hat. Name something purple. Uh, um, grimace. Name something pink. Damn it. Pink. Um, a pig. <laughs> what would you? Where would you find a flag? Um, top of the pole. How much money is in your pocket? Twenty-seven dollars. Name a DJ. <laughs> Name a DJ. Um, Fresh Wes. <laughs> Last, yeah, close. DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> Last place you ordered a pizza from? Uh, pizza Pizza. What toppings were on it? Pepperoni and pineapple. Can you cook? Yes. Can you dance? Oh, yeah. Can you juggle? Yeah. Can you whistle? Yes. What would you name a horse? Um, peanut butter. Pie or cake? Cake. Plain or train? Train. Bacon or sausages? Bacon. Favorite fruit? Apple. Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. We already did these. Uh, name, a, name a Manitoba city. Um, Flint Flon. Name a Manitoba town. Uh, Brandon. Name a Manitoba road. Um, Pembina. Name a Manitoba lake. Um, Gull Lake. Last concert attended. Uh, Prince. Can you name a Winnipeg Jet? Uh, T. Mussolini. Uh, name a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Oh fuck! Uh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> name a Winnipeg Mayor. Oh, I can't do that either. <laughs> Name a business on Corden. Um, Toad in the Hole. <laughs> Name a business in Osborne Village. Oh, that's the same thing. Oh, wait, Corden? Oh, is that the same thing? No? Uh, no. Osborne. Um, Name a, a business on Os- in Osborne. Um, that would that's be that, that, Das Machine. Is that still there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Besides this, name a podcast. Um, uh, Comedy Bang Bang. Name a dice game. Uh, pigs. Favorite toy as a child? Ball. Favorite toy as an adult? Uh, tinker. Name a nut. Run more. <laughs> Name a local beer. A local to Winnipeg? Uh, yeah, any local. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know your beer, Stella. Stella. Who, who does your laundry? I do. Mac or PC? Mac. Name an actress from Charlie's Angels. Uh, Kelly LeBrock? No, she wasn't in that. Uh, Bosley. What's Bosley's name? I don't know. Oh, Jacqueline Kennedy or something? I don't know. They were a reality show. Um, American Idol. Name an SNL cast member. Uh, Chris Kattan. Name a talk show host. Run more. That's it. Paula Brown. Brown. That's it. Sorry, man. You got 75. Oh, that's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, thanks for being on the show. You know, I love you. It's, uh, you know, such a huge part of my life. I don't get to see you much anymore, but it's always yeah. great when I do. All right. Well, I love you too, man. This is, uh, this was a lot of fun. Bye. Bye-bye.